Welcome back to the Global Digital Banker. My name is Adele Grissop and this is RFI Group's Insight-backed podcast focused on key trends, thought leadership and best practice within the fast-growing and dynamic world of digital banking. This week's episode focuses on some of the key highlights from the Global Digital Banking Conference held in London earlier this month. Listeners will discover what it takes to improve digital performance across customer experience and satisfaction, how to win the all-important main bank relationship, as well as economic and regulatory factors affecting the UK's retail banking sector. Guests include Suvo Sarkar, SEVP and Head of Retail Banking at Emirates NBD, Maha Eldamashki, Head of Payments at the Financial Conduct Authority, Daniel Jellin, CEO and founder at Tink, Jonathan Wood, SVP Consumer Applications at MasterCard, and Neil Cross, MD and Chief Innovation Officer at DBS Bank. I'm really excited to be joined by Suvo Sarkar. Thank you, glad to be here. So you've just come off the stage at the Global Digital Banking Conference here in London, and what a presentation. Thank you. So for our listeners, can you start by sharing a bit about what Live is and the catalyst behind creating it? Right. So Live is a digital lifestyle bank that we created as the biggest bank in the country to essentially attract millennials mm-hmm. to a different way of banking. We said as the incumbent market leader, we can't do more of the same for a very different segment in terms of needs and wants and preferences. We must create a totally new banking experience for our customers and we created what is more a lifestyle companion and less a bank. So what Live is, and that's the reason it's called Live, and that's the reason it doesn't have a name bank in it, is really an app that customers would want to come into when they want to see anything that's going on in town, whether it's events, whether it's you know, F&B, offers, deals, sports, and then have some banking in the background. So it's really a very simple banking application that allows customers to do uh, basic banking. And then as we grow the product, we'll add more offers and more products to it. But at the moment, it's a very simple banking application that we are seeing a lot of take up on. Uh, The objective was to create a bank that customers would not just trust, but also love. And I think from the initial indication last 18 months, we're seeing a lot of customer love. Oh, that's wonderful. And with the number of competitors growing in the market, I guess there is a shift to digital-only offerings. How does Live stand out from the others? I mean, you mentioned the lifestyle offering, so you're not really positioning it as just a bank, but how else do you stand out from other competitors? So thankfully, we don't have too much competition in the Middle East as of now as digital banks. We are the only significant digital bank in the country and the region, and we will launch in other markets very soon. But as I said before, the differentiator for us has been to create a banking experience from ground up. So it's a bank for millennials, by millennials. The entire team that runs Live are all millennials. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most of them are non-bankers. So they come in with no banking experience and okay. think through a new product from ground up. So the idea is for us as a market leader and as expert in banking in the country, not to color their thinking by transporting products from their mother bank to Live, mm-hmm. but really creating every product on its own from scratch. We've had huge support from our colleagues in risk and compliance and an audit to try and be very different while covering and while mitigating all the risks that you would want to mitigate as a bank. I think we've tried and we've been successful in creating experience which customers find hassle-free, 
simple and instant. So one example is every product on live does not require paper, okay. does not require a wet signature. So we will not launch any product that requires signatures from customers. So that's a challenge because we have regulations that we have to address. So we've done that quite thoughtfully, working with the regulator and working with our partners in the people who manage risk in creating something which is efficient yet ticks all the boxes in terms of regulations. So when it comes to getting customers on board, especially with a digital-only offering, it does come down to comfort and trust. So how are you building comfort and trust amongst consumers to get them on board with Live? So we are fortunate that Live is part of Emirates NBD, which is the oldest, most trusted bank brand in the country. Uh, while the branding is Live, we do have a subtext which says from Emirates NBD. Customers who don't know us at all would be guided with the fact that we are backed by the biggest bank in the country, and that's a big positive. Over time, we would expect that Live would create its own brand value, which is different from the mother bank, and be able to stand on its own two feet. Yeah. But trust has not been a problem for us. As I said, our objective is not trust, it's way beyond trust, it's passion and love. And that's what we aim for. You did mention love in your presentation, which I quite liked. So when it does come to loving a brand, what does that mean for Live? We expect customers to be our biggest advocates. Because we don't have a sales team, all our new acquisition is word of mouth. So we do have social media, of course, and uh, customers refer customers. So we are expecting over time that our entire acquisition is based on word of mouth from customers who are happy with us, mm -hmm. which is why we connect with customers in a very different way from a normal bank would. Our entire language, our communication style, uh, the way we talk to customers on chat is very friendly is like a millennial would chat with a millennial. Not officious language that we use. So we would say boo on Halloween, say hey, you're a fool on April Fool's Day. And customers will let us do that because, uh, you know, we are a guide and a friend to the customer. Now that's a very different positioning from what most digital banks do. And we're still learning our way on it, to be honest with you. But because our team is entirely non-bankers, it's easy for us to imagine the kind of language to use. So that that's so far worked for us. And I think that's how we're creating a unique, unique space for us. It's not about digital banking. It's about banking with the customer in mind. There's a difference. Mm. And finishing up, what would you say your predictions are for the digital banking space over the next year? Well, I would think you would see more digital banks launching in the Middle East. And I, there is at least one or two other competitors that are coming up. And I, I'm absolutely sure that uh, there'll be more choice for customers to move on to. We are already seeing 94% uh, of our transactions in the main bank, in the mother bank, mm -hmm. moving to digital channels. Clearly, there is a shift towards digital banking across all banks, not just digital banks. The idea is therefore to be creating our own niche within that space and be able to be uh, not just efficient but also be effective in addressing customers' needs. And the idea is really to personalize the offering because customers shouldn't feel they're nameless and faceless because they're dealing with an app. So how can we be still a person that you can love and trust while you're on an app without a face in front of you? That's a challenge, and that's something that we uh, are working on constantly. Well, it's such an exciting proposition. I'm really excited to see how Live continues to grow over the next year. Thank you, Suvo, very much for your time. Thank today. you very much. I'm joined here by Maha El Damashki. Maha, thanks for joining me. Pleasure. 
Are you able to share with our listeners the highlights of your presentation? So I was talking about opportunities and challenges in digital retail banking and payments. And it's nice to talk about opportunities and challenges together because Mm. everyone's focused on the opportunities and the exciting things. But I think looking at where the challenges are and making sure we focus on those and turning those into opportunities and where needed is really critical. And then I focused on four key areas that are important to the FCA, fraud, resilience, data and consent, and financial exclusion. And and we spoke a little bit about where the opportunities are, where the challenges are, and how we can find a balance. And when it does come to the opportunities, who or what would you say is driving this digital banking revolution? So we talk about it as three main areas or main drivers that tend to kind of interplay and interact with each other. The first is around technology and innovation, you know, widespread use of smart devices, automation of back office processes, you know, the changing use of data um, is, is constantly challenging how we bank and how we live our lives. The second is consumers and consumer behaviour. We live our lives in a changing world where we expect things to be immediate and, yeah, and we want them now. And the recent regulation that have come in around PSD2 and open banking and, and certainly GDPR that is you know, trying to support competition and innovation in the interest of consumers. Hmm. And with open banking, that is opening up competition in a big way in this market. Do you think moving forward customers will still predominantly be served by one institution or do you think shifting? I don't think necessarily that customers are served by one institution today. But what we hope that, you know, in terms of open banking in the UK and PSD2 will create opportunities and will create an environment for more business models and opportunities for consumers to be more informed and have more options and more choice to make decisions. So at the FCA, when we look at our approach to consumers, we set out conditions that we want to see for consumers as as it relates to competition working well. And that's not necessarily one outcome. It could be that consumers switch and and use more than one provider. It could be that they consolidate and use only one. So the environment is evolving. What we'd like to see is more choice. We'd like to see more more opportunity, more options for consumers, and we'd like to see that consumers are well informed to make those choices. And with the various technologies out there at the moment, with digital banking continuing to rise, is there one that's interesting to you? We're interested in innovation as well as you know consumer protection and market integrity. So technologies that enhance innovation are of interest to us, but also technologies that can help with, for example, fraud detection and better fraud prevention tools. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, same here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm here with Daniel Chelian, who just presented the partner view on PSD2 at today's Global Digital Banking Conference in London. Daniel, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So starting off with regulation, how do you see PSD2 and open banking play out for traditional banks first the fintechs? Well, I think, first of all, I think it's important to uh, not look too much into the PSD2 details. Uh, Because I think if you look behind you, you see a a massive changing tsunami of consumer behavior. And that is what's driving change. And now people are staring at exactly the implementation of of PSD2. And obviously, 
the lack of regulation has been a hinder in this development. Uh, so we've seen a, a pent-up demand. So once we see, well, now the regulatory track is kind of in place, then you see a massive change need from, from both consumers' perspective and then the banks would need to adopt. I think it's two-sided. First, it's going to be a different shape there. So the best banks will have tons of more customers, but the one that are not performing or have charged too much, etc., they'll have significantly less new customers. I think it's going to be a more rewarding time to be a banker than we've ever seen before. I think there's two different approaches to how you would tackle PSD2. One would be as an incumbent with a lot of consumers and a large share of wallet. Then it's very much about making sure you don't lose customers. So one, you need to present that holistic picture at the bank and make sure that the consumers understand your finances. On the other hand, if you are someone with low share of wallet, then there's an enormous opportunity. And then you would do aggregation and all of those services for the other reason you want to win new customers. And on account aggregation, that is driving you know, so much transparency within retail banking and ultimately giving consumers the power to identify better deals and switch where they need to. Are you able to share with our listeners a bit about your third-party developer platform? Yeah, so what we've done is that we've connected thousands of banks into one developer platform where we allow financial institutions to aggregate data on behalf of the user. And on top of that data, one, help the user understand her finances, but then, as you said, let the bank understand their users so they can give more targeted and smarter data-driven advice. I think from the bank's perspective, this is a way for being still, still relevant with the user to make sure that they channel the right users to the right product and to better monetize them. From the user's perspective, this lowers switching costs, make it easier for people to see where the best financial options are for them and to pick those financial services. Exactly. And I read recently you were looking to expand across Europe. What's the initial feedback so far? Well, it's been a fantastic journey. We started off basically being live in three markets in the Nordics this year. We're now in nine uh, European markets. I think that we've been a bit fortunate in Sweden because we've had a lot of supporting infrastructure around financial services but also very, very high internet penetration to mobile banking adoption. So what happened in Sweden, where we started to do aggregation and payment initiation in 2012-13, we see that movement now coming to the rest of Europe. And I think that people are very curious about what has happened in Sweden, what has been the reaction, what has been consumer adoption. So we're extremely happy to partner with banks, but also to share our experience in those areas. So on that, what have you found the barriers to expansion being? What have been the biggest challenges? Well, I think, uh, first of all, it's about building bank connections. That takes a lot of time and we have a big, big team in, in Stockholm doing it. So that's a massive work. And then secondly, it's about educating the market on not only seeing this as a defensive move, but also see the opportunity. How can I be a, a winner in a transforming uh, market? I think that in every market, you'll see one or two or three players that feels that they have a really good opportunity to be the winner and then you start partnering with them. Awesome. And then to finish up, and it doesn't have to be in financial services or banking, but who do you look to for inspiration within digital? I think that anyone who's, who doesn't necessarily care about what's now, what's needed, what does society want from me, but like have a clear vision on, you know, everyone would be so better off should we just achieve this and then go through whatever uh, problems, regulatory issues, whatever it is to, to achieve it. I think 
I admire a lot. Yeah, so having a consumer in mind and then just doing whatever it takes to yes. fill a need. Yes. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm joined here by Jonathan Woods. It's nice to be here. So you've just been on stage discussing the rise in mobile banking apps. Can you start by giving an overview of the Pay by Bank app that you've recently launched? Yeah, sure. So uh, Pay by Bank app, it's a new way to pay online. Crucially, the difference is you're using your mobile banking app, the thing that you use every day to check your balance, move money from one place to another, maybe apply for something new from your bank. The difference here is for the, for the first time, uh, you're gonna be able to use your mobile banking app to buy something online. So you'll see the pay by bank app button, mm -hmm. press the button. The button will then send a request to pay to your mobile banking app, which you'll see. You'll look at your balance live, make that informed choice as to whether you wanna pay, press the button to pay. The money moves from your account immediately. Um, and is delivered into the account of the merchant. Go back to the website and the transaction is finished. The important part of this, Adele, is you didn't give anybody any information. No card number, no yeah. three-digit code on the back, no, no bank details. You didn't get a little box that popped with another piece of authentication that's needed. You yeah. press the button, you authenticated into your mobile banking app, saw the request to pay, decided whether you did or didn't want to pay, press the button, and it's done. So it's actually a really little revolution in payments, and the little thing is the button. It's that little button that will just change the way we pay. Yeah, it's like Amazon, it's just buy now. You don't have to worry about anything, no adding details. It's just good to go, basically. Exactly. Okay, Amazon, what, a third of all internet spend online is Amazon. They make it really easy for you to yeah. do it. I love Amazon, many of us do. This is going to do the same thing for payments. It's brilliant. Yeah. And particularly when consumers are worried about online security and you keep hearing about like data hacks and fraud, it's just another way to get consumers comfortable with making digital payments. It's wonderful. Yeah, I think if you, you know, if we go and Google data breach, uh, we'll just see so many now examples and it seems to be happening more often. So, so as a human being, I'm more attuned to who am I giving my data to. Yeah, exactly. I love sharing. I love Facebook. I like LinkedIn. I love sharing. I don't want to share my payment credentials with anybody. And part of this is seeing the balance. Customers really like to know what they've got in their bank account before they pay. But this other element of don't give anybody any information you don't need to, this solves for that. It's a great way to protect the consumers. So when it comes to the HSBC partnership, why did they choose Pay by Bank app and how are they using it with their customers? So why, a number of different reasons. So the mobile banking app for HSBC is super important. It's become the favorite way for HSBC's customers to interface and interact with the bank. It's not the only way. People visiting branches, picking up the telephone, using online banking, but it's certainly become the preferred way. So HSBC sort of taking that mobile banking app strategy as part of their overall digital strategy and having a way for their customers to pay within that mobile banking app is the reason really why they pressed ahead. So HSBC, like other banks, are seeing other digital players, digital banks, neobanks, PayPal, Google Pay, Samsung Pay, doing a great job of yeah. providing us with, as consumers with new ways to pay. Well, HSBC want me to think about my banking app. So it keeps me within the HSBC environment. I'm looking at HSBC as who, who are providing me that way to pay. I trust them. I think George said, we don't always like our banks. 
but we do trust our banks. Yeah. So bringing the payment capability into the mobile banking app is a big part of HSBC's digital strategy, its mobile banking app strategy, and is really a natural evolution of how we'll be using our mobile banking app in the future. Beyond the security element of the pay by banking app, how else do you think that this is beneficial to the HSBC? Yeah, so this isn't the be all and end all for HSBC. This is one of a suite of innovations that they have, are and will continue to bring to the market. What they do know, with millions of customers using their mobile banking app to check their balance, they know that checking the balance and knowing how much money you've got in your account is super important. So pay by bank app, yes it's a great new way to pay, it leverages the power of that mobile banking app, but it does an even better job of serving their customers' needs by making sure that they can see that bank balance at the moment they choose whether to pay. So it's more than the payment experience itself. It's more than moving the money out of their account immediately and their balance being reflected. One of the key things that rises to the top of the list for a customer, why would you want to use this, is I see my balance before I pay. Well, it saves you having to log into your bank as well, so it's secure and you can see it, which is yeah. great. Do I even have the money? Have I been paid yet? And if the answer is, actually, I don't have as much money as I thought, no, I haven't yet been paid, I'll just wait, you can stop the transaction there and the payment's not made. So I'd argue you're making an even more informed decision. In your opinion, what do you think the future does hold for digital payments as we continue to see these technologies evolve? Yeah. What's next? There is a very consistent theme of safety, security, data, protecting consumers about the data breaches. We talked about making the experience of buying something not frictionless, but removing as much friction as possible. And I honestly think that as the future of payments evolves with really clever people coming up with really clever stuff, and MasterCard is one of those, is actually making sure that we do not take our eye off the ball on the safety and security element is key. I saw a question coming up on the board earlier mm -hmm. um, and it was about how consumers are telling your organisation uh, that they trust Amazon and PayPal. Yeah, millennials particularly. Yeah, if a BA moment happens with one of those two, the trust goes and it goes immediately and it's gone forever. Mm. And I tend to agree with that. And we've seen that with Facebook and Cambridge Analytica. Yeah. Instantaneous. Instantaneous. So, yes, make it brilliant for us as human beings to pay for stuff. Make it seamless. Allow me to use my mobile phone, my smartphone for doing even more. But do not take the eye off the ball to keep me safe and secure. That is one of the cornerstones of the future of digital payments that needs to have its attention still paid to so that we don't forget about that safety and security in the rush to make it easy. Agreed. John, thank you so much for joining me today. Pay by Bank app, a wonderful piece of payments innovation by MasterCard. Thanks again for your time. You're welcome. Thanks. Chloe James here for the Global Digital Banker podcast, sitting with Neil Cross. He has just come off stage. Awesome presentation, Neil. Thank you. Thank you for that. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Absolutely loved it. I mentioned to you as you came off the stage that one of my favourite phrases is, if not now, when? And something you said that really resonated with me was, if not you, who? Tell me about the inspiration behind that comment and how that drives how you operate as a leader. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've done many different things in my life and 
you know, that quote really came from when I was looking at building a social enterprise hotel in the Sumatra jungle to help save the orangutans. And I ran an innovation session in the jungle and kind of worked out, you know, what problems the village had. And the big thing was there wasn't enough powerful executives from across Asia who fall in love with the orangutans. And these people can make change. Yeah, they run huge companies or they're from, you know, billionaire families. These are the ones we need to convince to, to affect the change required. And so we'd worked out a way to do that was to build this high quality executive hotel. And, you know, it was more of a training exercise than anything, but it kept playing on my mind. I've worked out how to do it. You know, if not you, then who? Who is going to do this? But also I think that's just a philosophy that I've, I've generally had is just go do something. We're in a world where everyone talks, everyone tweets, everyone says they're an expert and they're amazing. Everyone's amazing on LinkedIn and an expert. And I'm just like, we need more people who just go and do, mm. yeah, I think, and, and show and demonstrate. So when we run training courses, we've changed them at the bank from being about, you know, watch some PowerPoint into, you know, we can have PowerPoint teaching, but we have FinTech or what we actually do now is we get bankers to invent their own FinTech company and to prototype it and test it with customers to actually do get your hands dirty. I suppose I'm quite lucky because I left school at 16, so I was very fortunate not to be put into the regular education system. So I have quite a different view on, on what makes education. And all my life, it's actually about get your hands dirty, try some stuff, make some mistakes, try again. And, and you really get to understand a subject if you actually you know, go deep on it and, and put the effort in yourself. Absolutely. On to change and innovation, two words that are bandied around. We hear them all the time. What do you think it takes to really create innovation that lasts within a traditional organization in your perspective? Well I think it's obvious yeah I've done lots of research on this I mean the most important thing is you've got to have lots of blocky chain AI uh, VR data analytics and everything's got to be done by fintech companies and that tends to be the general consensus but obviously I, I am joking here mm -hmm. for me yeah innovation has nothing to do with technology it really doesn't it's just the the sand and cement you use to solve problems yeah you can use business models to solve problems and innovate you can use distribution models which apple and microsoft are very famous for or you can use technology to solve problems but the role and the field of innovation is very separate to the field of technology you know i have this quote where i say don't digitize your bank digitize your staff and they will digitize your bank and I think the important thing with all of this is actually your best assets are your biological assets yeah are the people working in your organization we're on a real mission I've got a real mission this year is I want people at the bank to do their careers best work yeah I say to them look this is the time yeah we've got our investors behind us we've got a board behind us our CEOs you know tell everyone innovate try things you be experimental this is the one time in your career in the finance industry where you really can do something amazing yeah? and it's supportive and you actually you can make a mistake as long as you know it isn't with customers or anything like that but you can try and do something new you really get that idea you've had for 10 years you know out of your head and actually get it to see the light of day and I think that's the important thing is really rather than force people to innovate or force people to change I prefer to inspire them. Mm. Yeah, and it's just more effective. It's a carrot versus a stick. You do need certain sticks, as in, you know, look at KPI changes and how people are paid. But generally, it should be something that people 
are inspired to do. I want to innovate. I want to do agile. I want to do design thinking. I want to build prototype. I want to spend time with customers. What a great thing. Mm. Yeah. And um, I think that's the end of the spectrum that we like to play at a DBS. Absolutely. On on that theme of failure and, and making mistakes, you gave a great example on stage of actually within your hotel orangutan about failure and really facilitating that it was fine to fail for I'm going to let you tell the story it's a great one and I think you brought that from Hotel Orangutan into what you do at DBS yeah yeah just on that point you know the knowledge is so and learnings are so transportable you know just because you learn something in one field or one industry it doesn't stay in that field or industry yeah you can take that learning to any field or industry it's it, learning is transport everything you do you will learn something from which people I think forget they feel they need to specialize in something to be an expert but actually you can learn lots of different things and they're highly relevant in whatever you do but it's a story about Harry so Harry used to carry this cement off the back of the motorbike and up uh, the hill to build the hotel there's only a track into the jungle so everything had to come on the back of the motorbike there's no roads there um, and at the end of the day as we had extra cement it carve it into nice shapes and I noticed this, I thought, oh, they're quite nice. So I said to him, I said, hey, Harry, you know, what I'd like you to do is to do some cement carving for me. And he said, oh, no, boss, cannot, no good, me no good. And I'm like, oh, Harry, come on, I think you're really good. So I said, he said, no, boss, cannot. I said, okay, Harry, look, here's what we're going to do. Next week, you're not going to carry cement from the bike anymore. And he looked at me, he said, boss, you fire me? I'm like, oh, no, 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 Harry. So I was tr- trying to explain to, to Harry, I said, look, no, Harry, you're going to do a different job. So I'm going to give you one rectangle in the restaurant. And in that rectangle, you're going to put on cement. It's about two meters long by about 40 centimeters deep. And every day next week, you're going to put cement on. You're going to carve it into beautiful shapes. You're going to take a photo and send it to me. And then you're going to break it. And the next day, you're going to start again. And keep doing that until Friday I'm coming. Friday, keep it up there. I want to see it in person. And so because I took... There was zero impact of him failing. He just broke it every day. What did he care? Mm. You know, just do whatever he wants, break it, I'm getting paid, life's, you know, life's good. And I think that's important that you need to create this culture where people can be experimental and try things. Harry now, we set him up in his own carving business mm. and he's hugely successful with it. That's awesome. That's what a great thing. He's doing his career's best work now. You know, and it's almost stripping away that need for perfection. So you really are trying lots of different things. I'm going to smash it anyway. And yeah. then I'm going to try again tomorrow. But you've given him that freedom to really yeah. have the creativity. Now he has his own business. I absolutely love it. Ten years. DBS in ten years. Tell me what it looks like. Are oh, you there? Well, we've just won the world's best bank. So I'm not quite sure where we go from that one. I think maybe, you know, Asia's best company or world's best company. But, you know, I think, you know, we have strong leadership. Our financials are great. We're very Asia focused and are growing well. We're winning lots of awards and we're transforming. You know, I would like DBS in 10 years time. Let's face it, banks aren't the greatest places in the world to work from a culture perspective. I would like people who are inspired to come to work to every day. I'd like people doing their career's best work. I'd like people who can work from any location, who want to spend time with their kids that day or have something else to do, and the bank accommodating them, you know, and we're moving towards that journey. You know, our greatest assets are our biological assets. That would be amazing. And also we want to make banking invisible, yeah? If you're trying to do something in the physical or digital world, there is a financial hurdle you have to get through. You know, you'll just have a child, you need a new home, 
the financial hurdles of mortgage. Mm. Oh, you've seen a beautiful mountain bike, you don't have enough money, you, you know, you want to be a professional mountain bike, you need a loan. Mm. And so what we're trying to do is actually wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you don't actually need to go to the bank. Mm. The bank will appear where you are. And that's the promise of open banking is really, mm. you just press a button that says DBS it. You know, and that's it. You don't go to a branch, you don't fill out a form, you continue with your life. We're trying to make banking, you know, a bit more joyful. We, yeah. You know, our new slogan this year is, you know, live more, bank less. And that's Love what it. we're yeah. trying to do. Joy- and technology can make that happen. Absolutely. Joyful, simple. Thank you, Neil. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the episode this week. To view the show notes from this episode, head to globaldigitalbanker.com. To get in touch with us, check out our Instagram, Global Digital Banker, Twitter at GDB Podcast, or on Facebook under Global Digital Banker Podcast. If you're interested in being a part of the show or would like to let us know what you think of this episode, email us at gdbpodcast at rfigroup.com.